From the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 12, verse, chapter 58, verse 1 through 12. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people re will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. The word of the Lord. Uh, so, as I said, I have uh, more to do, and I'm going to apologize right now, because I know you're thinking, whew, 
That's a whole lot of Tim. That's a whole lot of Tim. Uh, hopefully it will be uh, a whole lot of the word and not as much uh, Tim. Um, so um, if you are a parent, uh, you know that there are those one or two things that are sticking points with you and your children or your child. Um, in my case, with my eight-year-old son, Isaiah, it's cleaning his room. Um, now, let me tell you, I, I, I'm not a big fan of cleaning. You know, I do it because I don't want to live in a filthy house. So when I clean, I am committed to cleaning. I clean under, over, around those places seen and those places unseen. My son has a different approach. His is more of moving the mess from one place to the other, taking the clothes off the floor and piling them on the bed. He is not as committed as I am. Uh, in fact, if it were left to him, he could go through the motions of cleaning without there having been much cleaning done. So inevitably, I say, son, you got to clean your room. He'll whine. It's unfair. Uh, you know, we go through the whole thing. If you put it away, then you don't have to clean it up. Goes in, muddles around for about 30 minutes, comes out. Dad, I want you to look, to look at my room. I know what's coming. I come in. What's that? Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, well, it needs to be cleaned. I leave, another 30 minutes. Dad, can you come in the room and check my room? Go in the room. Son, under the bed. What's all that stuff under the bed? I didn't know I had to clean under the bed. Son, the bed is in your room. If the bed was out in the front yard, then you wouldn't have to clean up under your bed because it's not in your room. But since the bed is in your room, under the bed is in your room. He wants to go through the motions of cleaning up his room without actually cleaning up his room. And it's hard for me to make, to make him understand that you have to be committed to cleaning and not just go through the motions because at some point we're going to send you out into the world. You're going to ha have housemates and I don't want them going, mm, mm, mm. He is so nasty. How did his parents let him be so nasty? I tell you that to tell you this. In a sense, that's where we start in Isaiah 58. God is putting the people of Israel on blast. He's giving the writer of Isaiah permission to call them out. God says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For, the day, for day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were, nation, they were a nation doing what is, what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. Of its God. Gods. <laughs> no, that's not where we're going. So let me just tell you, the trumpet is one of my favorite instruments. And that's probably because it's loud like me. But other than it being loud, when you have a master musician playing the trumpet, 
he or she can hit a note that is so piercing that it sends chills down your spine and it hits you in your soul. It is to this degree to which God is calling his people out. We're told that Israel is whining that they're following God by observing spiritual practices, particularly fasting, and yet God is not making himself known to them. Isaiah says, phooey. That's an old Popeye term, <laughs> phooey. And he says phooey because what they're basically doing is going through the motions because they want to be noticed and they want to pat on the head for just showing up. They say, see here now. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? What follows is an indictment of the ways that Israel has not been humble, but instead self-serving to the detriment of the community. And let me just say something about humble. Have you ever met somebody and they come up to you and they tell you how humble they are? And then they spend like 20, 30 minutes telling you all the ways that they're humble and you're standing there going, hmm, I don't think that word means what you think it does. Like that piercing trumpet, like that piercing note, God replies, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, exploit workers, quarrel and strike each other with fists. God is telling them, uh, you can't be doing all that you're doing, all that you want to do, and expect me to pick up what you're putting down. That's weak game, right? Uh, it's all about pretending to be about God when in actuality, it's all about them. God goes on about the business of setting them straight and continues with, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Oh, I'm clicking away. Ah, uh, uh, that's right. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no, you know what? There's no slide for this. <laughs> God goes about the business of setting them straight. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is not is it not to share your food with the hungry and to, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. And he will say, here I am. The road to salvation is through God. 
But I would argue that what God is saying to Israel is that the road to God is through his people. God says fast. But fast with your focus being on the well-being of your community because God doesn't like pageantry. Because so much of the time, most of the time, pageantry is about me. And it's totally void of we. They're trying to look good in the eyes of God by simply going through the motions. And in essence, they're making a hollow mockery of their faith. The great thing about the God that we serve, though, is that in the face of this rebellion, this sin, this mockery, God doesn't wash his hands of Israel. You know, I'm done with you. You're going to do what you want to do. Go ahead and do what you want to do. I don't care. No. Instead, he gives guidance. Instead, God becomes the GPS that Pastor Gary talked about last week and says, recalculating. What God saw was that the people had become soft in their religious observance and succumbed to some of the pagan culture around them. They were doing a kind of one foot in, one foot out, going through the motions of seeking God's favor, but in a self-aggrandizing way, a way that is dictated by the culture. It's about me not we. That might sound a little familiar. I don't know if, you know, our culture that we live in today does a whole lot about we, but we certainly know it does a whole lot about me. The road to salvation is through God. The road to God it's through his people. So why do we fast? What is fasting? I mean, simply put, fasting is abstaining from food, drink, or, 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 or anything, right? And as Christians, we fast as a way of letting go of things so that we might fully submit into a spiritual space of prayer and fellowship with God. Through fasting and prayer, we are able to ascertain the power of God in our lives. And even if the idea of personal salvation was the focus of what the Israelites were doing, what we see in Isaiah is that that's even missing the point. Because during that time of connectedness to God, we are called to a connectedness to kingdom work. The work of liberating the poor from the shackles of impoverishment. It goes on to say, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, 
with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will, will, always, will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Mm, mm, mm. I need me some of that. Need me some of that. But God refuses to let us be lone wolves. God's kingdom doesn't come through rugged individualism. Now, that doesn't mean that God sees us as indistinguishable cogs. No, no. God made us who we are. He made us different. He gave us all different gifts. However, we are pieces of a whole. There were people suffering. There were Israelites suffering. From hunger, injustice, oppression. But people of faith who couldn't or wouldn't empathize or sympathize, they at best ignored it, at worst contributed to it, and doing so while going through the motions of seeking God's favor. God didn't. And God does not play that. Am I my brother's and my sister's keeper? Absolutely, says the Lord. You cannot become MVP, most valuable player, in the NBA, if your team stinks. You, in fact, you can only become MVP, most valuable player in the NBA, if you do all that you can to make sure that your team does not stink. And you do so by making your teammates better. This year's MVP, Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell Westbrook uh, this year was balling, y'all. Russell Westbrook was putting in work. Um, he broke the NBA record for the number of triple doubles in a game. Triple double means that in a game, uh, he was double digits in scoring, double digits in assists, and double digits in rebounds. Now, for those of you who don't know nothing about basketball, some of that stuff, you're like, I don't even know what that means. I'm getting there. Not only that, he achieved 42 triple-double games out of an 81-game season. He is only the second player in the history of the NBA to have averaged a triple-double in an NBA season. He scored 31 points, 
10.4 assists and 10.7 rebounds a game. Now, it's the assists that are important for what we're talking about tonight. So basically an assist is I have the ball, I pass you the ball, you score, right? So my pass to you enabled you to score. They track that, right? So that means, so this cat is making 31 points a game. That means he's scoring a lot in the game. But what he's also doing is he's making sure that his teammates are a part of that too because there's, there are a couple of ways. Let me just tell you something. Oklahoma City came into this season and they were like, man, this team is rebuilding. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not, you know why? Because they lost Kevin Durant. Their loss, our game, go Dubs! Um, so, you know, the, you know it, it, was, it, was, it was looking dire to OKC. Russell Westbrook said, not on my watch. And he performed the way that he did, and they made the first round of playoffs. However, he could have easily just went out for his and couldn't care less about the rest of his team. You don't get 10 assists a game by being all about yourself. He brought his teammates along. And so in achieving his goal, his teammates were also able to achieve their goal. So he put personal success aside to bring his team on, and it paid off. They did make it through the playoffs. They got knocked out in the first round, but hey, they made it. Now, I'm not going to say that we should all be striving to be MVPs for the Lord. Although, you know, it's not the worst thing you can strive for. Um, but what we might be learning from Isaiah is that even in our most intimate observances of our faith, meaning even in those times of fasting and prayer where it is somewhat about us, we are still called to be mindful and active towards the well-being of the whole body of Christ. Not me, we. And maybe, just maybe, that's what true discipleship is. Maybe that's what true personal salvation is. Maybe it's that it's intractably connected to our actively pursuing liberation for the oppressed. Because I'll say it again, the road to salvation is through God. The road to God is through his people. Now, I could be whistling in the wind. I don't think I am. And I don't think I am because there seems to be a cause and effect in Isaiah, an if-then uh, relationship that's set up, right? So we go, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine 
in the darkness. And really, if, if, if we think about it, we even see that if-then connectedness in verses 6 through 9. You could read it, if you lose the chains of injustice and untie the yoke, and untie the cords of the yoke, if you set the oppressed free, if you share your food with the hungry, if you provide shelter for the poor wanderer, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. It all hinges on that then. That's where we get the quid pro quo, right? The this for that. So I know that I'm taking some liberty by applying the ifs to that block of, of scripture. And I don't mean to be heretical. But I only hope to drive home the point to make sure that we're not sleeping on what God is telling the Israelites because I think it's important for us in our own religious observance as well. See, to a degree, we are only going through the motions if our spiritual disciplines are self-centered, self-serving, and void of any concern or advocacy for the downtrodden in our communities for the whole body of Christ. Uh, black theology writer James Cone, in his book, God of the Oppressed, thinks of it uh, this way. The Christian community is that community that freely becomes oppressed. Christians join the cause of the oppressed in the fight for justice, not because of some philosophical principle of the good or because of a feeling of sympathy for people in prison. Sympathy does not change structures of injustice. The authentic identity of Christians with the poor is found in the claim which, Jesus, which the Jesus encounter lays upon their own lifestyle, a claim that connects the Christian with the liberation of the poor. Christians fight not for humanity in general, but for themselves and out of their love for concrete human beings. The road of salvation is through God. The road to God is through his people. Isaiah 58 seems to be conveying to us what God is telling the Israelites that salvation is not arrived at by just going through the motions. That to commit to God is to commit to the community and healing the afflictions on that community. We might be able to sum that up in Micah 6.8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So this week, take an account of your own spiritual practices and disciplines and find those places, if any, where you might just be going through the motions where it might be stale or self-indulgent, more about you 
than God, than kingdom work. We did, a, I, think, you know, I forget what, what series we were in, but just a few months back, uh, one of the praxis that we did for that week was Pastor Gary asked us to pick a meal uh, in the day and fast for that meal. You know, I like to be a you know, good congregant, good elder. You know, I try to follow you know, the instructions of, of, the, of the pastor. And so that week I went in and I said, well, I guess I could do breakfast since I don't eat breakfast. <laughs> I thought that'd be cheating. So I'll do lunch because I really like lunch because I don't do breakfast. I'm usually starving by lunch. And so I was really intending just to go and do it and go through the motions. And so Monday came and you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. No lunch today. Got to wait until dinner. I'm going to fast. I'm going to sit here at my desk and do my work, not think about lunch, you know, because I'm, I'm supposed to do this. And then it dawned on me, I have a choice not to have lunch today. I have a choice not to have lunch tomorrow. In fact, when this fast is over and I want lunch, I can go anywhere I want for lunch. I can bring my lunch. I can go out and pay 20 bucks for lunch. That's not a choice everybody has. Huh. For me, making that connection changed the way I went into that fast for the rest of the week realizing that that was, that was kind of what was supposed to be put on my heart. Maybe not on everybody. I mean, different people came out of that with different things. But for me, it was remember the folks that can't, that this is not a choice for them. That one meal a day is the only choice. No meal a day might be the only option. It changed the way I went in to that week. It changed how I prayed during that time in that week. It refocused and, re and just for someone who does, who, who engages in social justice, it reminded me again why I do so social justice. Not out of sympathy, because sympathy doesn't change structures. So, this week, take account, see where it's a little stale, see where it just might be going through the motions, and invite God into that. And, say, and, and ask him, Lord, how can you refresh this for me? God might send you somewhere else. You might say, you know what, you're done with this one, try this. But we don't want to be just going through the motions. Because once again, the road to salvation is through God. Then the road to God is through his people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are, uh, we're busy people, Lord. And it's hard sometimes not to think about what's in front of us, what we have to do, what we're dependent upon to do, Lord. 
it's hard to even make that break, Lord. But we ask that you come to us and you, you Lord, you give us the space. You um, refresh uh, the ways that we connect with you, Lord, so that we might be able to see how our connectedness to you can bring us more connected to our people. To our people who are struggling, to our people who are oppressed. Lord, we ask that we know that we want to love and, and, and build a relationship with you, Lord, but we know that you call us to do much more than that. That love for you is greater than just us and you. It's us, you, and the full body of Christ. And, everybody, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.